So good morning. Uh, let me tell you about a couple guys who lived their lives. All right, this first guy, he married his high school sweetheart, raised a couple kids, got a job working as a firefighter, right? They, they bought their dream house. And then later on in old age, he retires and picks up a few hobbies and eventually dies. And this other guy, he works uh, for his grandfather selling plumbing parts and piping. And eventually his grandfather passes the business down to him and he provides for his family and you know, they, they invest in their local church and they do all these good things and, and he too raises kids and eventually dies. These two stories were fake stories, by the way. At least the second half of them because the people I'm talking about are the Prestons and Caudels. And the, the first half of those stories were real, but because of the belief that they had in God, and their obedience to him, they were willing to let that life be completely interrupted. They were willing to let God interfere and mess up the plans that they had. Right? That, that they were willing to, to put on hold, maybe even perpetually, some of their, their dreams that they might have had. They were willing to leave a place of comfort where they had friends and family, and right, the community that they grew up in, they surrendered all of that because they believed God and let him completely interrupt their lives. Now, not only did they let God interrupt their lives on Sundays, like, sure, God, I'll give you Sunday, right? You can just, like, have that morning. I'll give you a couple hours, right? But they actually let God interrupt where they lived, what they did, and who they served because they believed God and were obedient to him. So good morning, Valley Town. Welcome if it's your first time. Uh, my name is Brian. And if you don't know, this, you caught us on actually a really cool historical moment for our church because we're sending out our founding families today. And it is amazing. The, this sort of thing, I don't know if you guys realize this, this doesn't happen a lot. You don't have this sort of situation where someone comes in and plants a church and just hands it over once, you know, new leadership is raised up and go and start a new thing. You read about this sort of thing in Acts. This is the sort of thing the Apostle Paul does in Acts, right? And there's only like a handful of people I know that are actually doing this sort of thing, and it's really cool to see that God did it in our community. But we're going to be reading out of, out of Hebrews today. If you're interested in the Bible, it's our gift to you. You can keep it, take it home, enjoy it. Uh, just raise your hand and uh, Denise here will give you one. But let, let's think about this. So, so the Prestons and Caudels, they, they left Georgia in 2012 to move here to Vermont to start a church in the least church state in the United States, right? So they targeted this place right, through prayer, that through God's, right, God called them here, but also because their hearts were drawn here for that reason. It was a region of unreached people. They left the familiar and the comfortable. And we've seen, I know most of you guys have seen what Ben and Zach and Don have done because they'd, they'd be up here almost every Sunday. But I also want to point out that Tiffany, for the first year of our church, never got to participate in worship, never got to hear her husband preach besides when he'd be practicing on a Saturday or listening online because she was serving in the kids' space, right? That, that all of them gave so much to see this happen. 
And it's really, really cool. So, like I said, we're going to be reading in Hebrews 11, and it turns out that when I first met Ben and Zach, it was a week after Hurricane Irene, and I'd actually, Katie and I had just moved to town, I became a math teacher here, and we moved into town the day before the flood. And I actually thought, like, man, these people are going to think I'm Jonah, they're going to throw me in the river for bringing this curse on their community. Like, they're going to, what were you running from, Brian? Are you running from God? Like, what is this? And, but, but Ben and Zach came up the following week to serve and to help clean up and to help rebuild. And we just read about them online. We saw the YouTube video that I think some of you guys had seen. And I read on their blog that they were coming up and I was like, let's shoot them an email. You know, so I shot them an email. And I said, hey, like, we're fellow believers. We just moved to town. If you need a place to stay this week, you know, come hang out. This is where we live, and, and we connected. So they came over their first night in town, and we have a meal. We talked. We prayed, and we had a Bible study, and Ben taught out of Hebrews chapter 11. And the funny part about this story is when, when Katie and I, we go to bed after setting up their sleeping arrangements and stuff, we lay down, we look at each other, and we're like, we just met these two people from the internet and they're sleeping in our house right now. <laughs> like, we don't, we don't do this. Like, this is weird. Like, all right. Like, we'll see how this goes. Uh, and of course, it went great. But we didn't, we didn't have any kids. So there wasn't, we weren't risking that much. <laughs> Bunch of kooks from the internet here. But, uh, but what I want to point out is that God might be interested in wrecking your life. Yeah. Uh, Which, if you guys got a handout here, uh, you can fill out some notes if you'd like. I've also got all my bonus content there. You can grab one on the way out. But uh, God might be interested in wrecking your life. The life that you designed, the, the goals that you set, the thing that you envision is making you happy. God might be interested in just going all out angry birds on that. Right, where he's going to like slingshot a little bird and just bam, knock down all of the idols to self that we build and plan on building. God might be interested in doing that. God might be interested in completely interrupting your plans. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go out and plant a church, although I pray to God that we raise up some more leaders in here to do that. But he might be interested in wrecking your life. And Hebrews chapter 11 is, is a passage in the Bible, and it's often called the Hall of Faith, where it's all of these, these accounts, a quick summary of, of all of these people who did great things in the Bible by faith. And in Hebrews 11, we read about Moses. In verse 24, it says, by faith, also you're on page 866 if you've got the Valleytown ESV Bible, help you out there. Uh, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of of Pharaoh's daughter. I don't know if you know this about Moses, but when he was born, it was at a time in Egypt where the Israelites were slaves, and the Pharaoh commanded that the children be killed because they were afraid of the population becoming too great and eventually overthrowing their power. And Moses' mother rescued him. They put him in a basket. He floats down the river, and who picks him up but Pharaoh's daughter, and she adopts him into her family, and he's raised as a prince of Egypt. And, and Egypt at that time was the world power. All right, so he had everything available to him. 
But it says in verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. So he made an exchange. And it says that, verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all of the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So Moses, when he found out that his family members and the people he came from were all slaves, he could have just thought like, you know, a lot of them are working really hard. They've got a tough life. At least one of us should be happy, right? At least one of us should live a life of comfort and luxury because then that gives the rest of them something to like attain to, right? Like, I, just, I should just stay in the palace and just enjoy all of the things that Egypt has for me and they'll just be happy that I'm happy, right? He could have just said that, but instead he, he thought the exchange he made was that he'd rather suffer with the people of God than enjoy all that Egypt had to offer. And notice it refers to the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, some churches will tell you that sin is not pleasurable, but I think everyone in this room has figured out that sin is fun, um, right? I, th- I think everyone's figured that out. But the thing that's deceptive about sin is its pleasure is fleeting. It escapes us. It, it, it just dwindles out rather quickly. In fact, my favorite proverb, well, I, that's, that's not actually true, but one of my favorite proverbs when thinking about this, there we go, all right, I got this, uh, says that stolen bread tastes sweet, but eventually turns to gravel in the mouth. All right, so imagine like I steal a piece of bread and it's like, mm, like this is awesome, you know, and then like, oh, my tooth fell out. Ah, what is this stuff? Like, oh, you know, and that's how sin is. Where for a moment, we, we desired it, we pursued it, and it, it felt good to obtain it in that moment, but eventually it takes us further than we planned. It, it hurts us, it hurts the people we love, we're full of regret about it, and we wish that we could do anything to change the decisions we've made. So sin is pleasurable, although it is fleeting. And notice that the exchange here, it doesn't say that he exchanged this fleeting pleasure of sin for a you know, perpetual and right now and forever pleasure with the people of God. No, he exchanged it for suffering. The exchange he made would not have seemed like a wise one to any of us in that moment. Right? The endorphins in our brain would not have told us that was the thing to do. But he chose to make that exchange because why? He considered the reproach of Christ to be worth more than all the treasures in Egypt. And he was right. Moses right now does not regret that decision. I don't know if you realize this. Like when we get to hang out in heaven with him, he's not like, man, oh, I could have had one more party at Pharaoh's house when he was out of the, out of the town. You know, like... No, like he doesn't regret it. And, and in fact, the eternal reward that he got was so much greater. And we, at times, will choose to suffer temporarily that we obtain something greater and enduring. All right, so, so true joy can be found in living your life for the eternal and for other people. And that's what Moses chose to do. Now, now, like I said, Hebrews 11 is a book about all of these, these great people of faith. They do all sorts of awesome things. Read it this week. Check it out. 
But a lot of times, you know, Sunday school or, or we get this perception that the Bible is just this book of heroes, right? We think about Moses, like, parting the Red Sea, you know, or we think about, like, Daniel in the lion's den, you know, or we think about David and Goliath, and he's like, bam, you know, and we're like, man, these guys are awesome, you know, and we get so excited, but, but the Bible is not a book about heroes. The Bible is a book about one hero, and that is God, who chose to pursue a rebellious people to the point of suffering his own death that he could reconcile us to him. That is the hero of the Bible. And the cool thing about all of these people is that the only reason we perceive them as heroes is because they believed God and obeyed him. He was the one that had the plan. And in fact, before Ben and Tiffany had ever even heard of Wilmington, Vermont, God was thinking about Wilmington, Vermont. God loves the people of this valley, and not just the people here right now, but generationally has loved the people of this valley. In fact, some of the people who come to our church right now, they were here back in the 70s when God also did a great move, and many people came to know Jesus in this community. And generationally, God is going to continue to pursue all of the people that he loves. And so that's something that I like to think on, is that this wasn't just Ben and Tiffany's idea. This was God's idea. And, and God invites all of us to be co-laborers or fellow workers with him in doing the mission that he has. And he empowers us to do it. So oftentimes when we think about these heroes of the Bible, we're like, man, those people were so cool. How did they do that? They're like superheroes. But the reality is the only difference between you and David or you and the apostles, the, the only difference between you and them is that they believed God and acted on it. There was nothing special or extraordinary about them as individuals. It was that God chose to work through them and empower them and to call him to something greater, that he would be glorified. And in fact, without God, these people would not have been heroes. In the book of Judges, I've got it on the bonus content, but Gideon, Gideon was this guy who when God called him to be a mighty warrior to save his people from the Philistine troop that was attacking them, that, that Gideon ends up, ends up telling God, he's like, listen, the tribe I'm in is the smallest of the twelve. My family is the weakest of our tribe, and I'm the runt of the litter. Like, do you know who you're choosing, God? Who are you calling mighty warrior? But God chooses the weak that he will be glorified when they obey him. So that there will be no question like, yeah, that person's really talented though. No, like God is the only one that can be glorified as a result of what happens. And in fact, later on, Gideon needs to raise an army to fight a group of, I believe it's about 30,000. And he has about 8,000. And God tells me, says, Gideon, that's too many people. And he wasn't talking about the other army. He was talking about Gideon's army. 8,000 is too many people. And through filtering that group three times, he whittles it down to 300. And God is glorified because these 300 are able to go and fight and conquer 30,000. And so God loves working through ordinary people to do extraordinary 
things. And that's why God can do so much in your life. The only separation is, do you believe him and will you obey him? Or think about David when he fought Goliath. He was a teenager, right? Goliath's like, who is this ruddy youth? And, and more than that, he's a pretty boy. Like, who is this guy, right? Like, like you're sending this teenager to fight me, the, the mightiest warrior in this army? And he's going to represent your kingdom that if he fails, all of you become our slaves. That's who you're sending. But when David fought Goliath, he said that the battle is the Lord's. So he knew who he was fighting for and who was empowering him to succeed. And in fact, Jesus put it this way in John 15, 5. I think I've got the verse. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I realize, like, that's kind of hard for us to wrestle with. Like, I don't know, like, I lived my life apart from God for a while, and I was doing a lot of stuff without him. You know, you might think like that. But, and, you know, maybe we could justify that saying, well, God created life. He created the universe. He gives you breath in your lungs, gives you your health. You know, so in that sense, we can't do anything without him. But in another sense, when we go on to heaven, the Bible says that any works that were done for selfish reasons, right, anything done apart from God, all of those works actually get purified and kind of burned up. And we are still saved, but only the things we did in obedience to God actually have an eternal consequence. Anything else that's done apart from God is just going to, this life is all that it's ever going to exist in. You won't even have a memory of those, those actions and those decisions for the rest of eternity. So as far as us living for God, we need to abide in Jesus because that's the only way we're going to have an eternal outcome, right, for the rest of forever. So, big stuff. Now, you might wonder, like, wow, well, still, even if these people aren't heroes, what gave them so much faith? What caused them to believe in God so strongly that they acted this way? And the reason we have faith, this is on your list, is we have faith because God is faithful and able. God is faithful and able. Now, before I go any further on faith, you guys are going to have to do some research to dig this up, so Google it. But there's two verses in the Bible that talk about Abraham Right? He's referred to as the father of faith. He was called out of idolatry and God sent him to this new country, eventually prophesies and says, you're going to have a son, you're going to be the father of many nations, and from him, through his line, eventually comes Jesus, God's plan for saving all of humanity. Right? So Abraham, the Bible says that he had faith and it was accounted to him as righteousness. In another spot, talking about the same experience, same guy, it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So when we pair up those two verses, the thing that we see is that faith is simply believing God. So I don't want to like complicate things by using Bible words on you. Faith is just believing God. And we have faith because God is faithful. Or I could phrase it this way, that we believe God because he's proven himself trustworthy. 
And in fact, the way you live your life or the way that it's worked for me is that when I first started thinking, man, if God is real, I should start living like he's real. And I would just, as a teenager, I'd be like, all right, God, I'm going to, like, I just read this in your Bible. I'm going to step out and try this. And he's faithful. Or I'm going to, I'm going to, all right, I'm going to start, you know, giving some of my money now. And he's faithful. I'm going to believe this promise that you said, and he's faithful. And just like any relationship, like, I didn't just like, you know, meet Katie on the street and be like, let's be married right now. Like, let's move in together and have a forever life. Like, no, like, we got to know each other. We built trust in one, one another through our relationship. And God's the same way. He will prove faithful as you allow him to build trust. So that's where you got to start. You got to start with taking some baby steps and letting him build trust. So Hebrews 11.11, 11, talking about Sarah, Abraham's wife, and now, Abraham was this really old dude, and Sarah was also old, but like minus 10 years, I think. And God tells them that they're going to have a son, and it's like, what? You know, like, this is kind of, kind of ridiculous. But uh, in Hebrews eleven eleven, it says, by faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive even when she was past the age. And why did she have that faith? Since she considered him faithful who had promised it. So God's faithfulness is what allows us to have faith in him, right? We know that when he makes a promise, he keeps it. And Sarah just was able to kind of like weigh things out, right? She was like, all right, like, I reckon that God, God is faithful. He keeps his promises. Like, I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to believe him. And because of that believing in God, the power of God came on her where she could have this son that he promised. In Romans 4, talking about Abraham's perspective of the same event, it says that no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. And you might be like, wow, dude didn't even waver when God made a promise. And you might think that sounds really great, but reading this next part has the secret to why he didn't waver. It says, but he grew strong in his faith, as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So it's when we give glory to God that our faith can be made strong. So you're not expected to suddenly have like walk on water faith like the first day you meet Jesus. You're not expected to be there. Your, your faith grows stronger the more you spend time with God. Right, so that might be glorifying him like Abraham did, where you're just worshiping him. That might be praying to him. That might be reading the Bible, the words that he wrote for us, and that builds our faith. In fact, we sometimes sing a song uh, called Oceans. It says, take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. That is where your faith will grow. So that's why maybe this feels out of reach. You're like, how could I ever believe to do that? You just need to spend time with God and that's it. And that's one of the reasons why we have our gatherings here. We want to encourage that sort of thing. Like start seeking him out and he'll, he'll show up. So we grow in faith when we glorify God. And that's all you got to do. You just got to spend time with God. That verse also said that Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. 
So not only is God faithful according to Sarah, and that's why she had faith, but Abraham had faith because he's also able. This means, in my mind, layman's terms, God doesn't write checks that bounce. Right? When he says he's going to do something, not only is he faithful to do it, but he's also able to do it. Nothing is impossible for God. We sing a song about that too sometimes. Right? Nothing is impossible for God. In fact, not only is his ability not lacking where nothing is impossible for God, but doing nothing is impossible for God. Because in his nature as redeemer, when mankind broke that covenant and rebelled against him, standing by and doing nothing was impossible for God. He had to do something about it. It was in his nature as a redeemer to do whatever he could to reconcile mankind back to himself. So nothing is impossible for God. Another word that, that we often use, a theological word, is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. That God is not limited in his power. Right? It's not like he's got like some measurement you can think of. He, no, all-powerful. All and I know sometimes people think like, well, could God make a rock so big that he couldn't move it? Right? And that's, that's what they ask. And, and I love it when people ask questions if you have tough questions, go to a missional community where you can have dinner with, with us. Just enjoy our company. Ask your tough questions. Try to figure this stuff out because you've got to wrestle through that. But that sort of question is said by someone who just doesn't understand the concept of infinity. And I used to be a math teacher here. So God making a rock so big he couldn't move it, you just have two things going off to infinity. That, that question no longer makes sense. It's not in limiting God. It's just the limited understanding of the concept of infinity. But I'll step away from the math for a minute here. So, so God is powerful. In fact, the only areas that God is limited in, because I will have this one caveat, is that God limits himself when he makes a promise. Because he cannot break that promise. So the moment he said he's going to do something, he has limited himself in which he can no longer not do that thing. So, so God limits himself with his word. And in fact, the Bible says that he holds his word above his own name, that God is not a man that he should lie. He cannot break a promise. And that goes back to Sarah's claim that he is faithful. So God doesn't know how to be unfaithful. In Genesis 18 the original story about Abraham and Sarah having their son Isaac, the Lord literally visits their family, right? Like God shows up, he's got a couple angels with him that he's rolling with, and, and he shows up and he tells Abraham, he's like, you're going to have a son. And Sarah overhears this, I guess she was hanging out in the tent, and she literally laughs. She's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. In my old age, I'm expected to now have pleasure with my husband? Like, what is this? And the Lord hears this and he's like, why, why did Sarah laugh? Like he doesn't, like why, did, why is she laughing? And she's like, no, 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 I didn't laugh. He's like, this is what he says in Genesis eighteen fourteen. He says, when the Lord, uh, let's see, visits Abraham, this is what he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah will have a son. He says, you did laugh. Right? And actually, the funny thing about that story is she ends up naming her son Isaac, which is the Hebrew word for laughter. Right? So it's just like kind of all comes back full circle. But 
The point is, this is what the Lord said about himself. He said, is anything too hard for the Lord? God can't understand the concept of, of difficult. Hard doesn't make sense. Like, there, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Like, I don't even understand. What do you mean this is too hard? Like, this doesn't make sense from God's perspective. It's not even like a little hard. You know, it's not like, oh man, I was just working out. Like, I'm tired. I could still go for a jog. And like, no, no, no. He didn't even get fatigued. In fact, like, after creating the world in six days, he only set the seventh day as a restful day for our sake. Sabbath was made for man, not for God, is what the Bible says. So he just wanted to model, like, listen, you need a day off. I don't know if you guys catch this, but we worship the God who invented a day off. Like, that's pretty awesome. Like, yeah, praise God. Like, that's something to get excited about. Like, right there. Yeah, come on. So, so is anything too hard for the Lord? So, Jesus has this interesting situation. I believe it's in Mark. I don't remember where. But where he's preaching and he's in a house and it's so packed that like no one else can get in the house. And I'll just recap it real fast, fast forward. Where like these four guys show up with their friend who's like been crippled his whole life and he's in a bed and they're like, oh man, we can't get to Jesus to get our friend healed. So they like climb up on the roof and they pull their friend up and then they literally start like ripping the roof apart and then lower him down. And like, just like Jesus is preaching and they're like, what's going on? Like this guy's right in front of you, you know? And, and what Jesus says is not what you would have expected. Because they came for a healing, but what he tells the man is that your sins are forgiven. And this really upsets the religious people that were hanging out, the Pharisees. They're like, wait, he can't do that. He can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, knowing the thoughts in their heart, he says, which is easier? To say, rise up, take your bed and walk? Or to say, your sins are forgiven? But lest you believe that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. And the dude's healed. But catch what Jesus said. He said, which is easier? He didn't say which is harder. Because he doesn't even know how to measure hard to compare two things about their difficulty. He said, which is easier? Two things that are impossible for us are both easy for God. Because our God is able. He is faithful and he is able. And that's why we have faith. The next thing I want to point out is that we don't worship godly men and women. All right? We don't esteem believers to a status that they do not deserve. We don't, we don't elevate saints, for instance. We don't venerate people. In fact, the word saint is used to refer to any believer in Jesus because we've been made holy and sanctified because of his blood and his righteousness has been given to us. So it's not like sainthood is earned as a result of like some great act of faith other than the faith in believing in Jesus for salvation. So we don't worship godly people. All right? So we don't worship these heroes. And to make this point, the Catholic Church, their most venerated saint, the most holy person is Mary, Jesus' mother. All right? And, you know, I, we love Mary. I love Paul. I love David. I love all these people. I can't wait to go to heaven and be like, Paul, what's going on? Like, how are you doing? He's like, hey, Brian, pull my finger. And like, we're just going to hang out in heaven for all eternity. It's going to be great. Like, I love these people, right? They're family. They're family. But, but Jesus actually made this really important point about 
you know, esteeming people above what they should. In fact, one day Jesus, he's, he ends up casting this demon out of this kid that was oppressing him in a way that he was mute and couldn't speak. So he casts the demon out and there's a crowd there. So he ends up saying like, you know, does a little sermon about demons and explains like, hey, this is how this works. This is what this is about. And in the middle of his sermon, someone in the crowd, they're just like hanging out completely off topic. I don't know what they were thinking. This is in Luke eleven twenty seven. 27. It says, uh, and as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. It's like, he wasn't even talking about anything close to that. Like, that was just disruptive. And I don't even know what this person thought Jesus was going to say to that. Like, yeah, I like my mom. Like, happy Mother's Day, Mary. You know, like, I don't know. Like, what is, what do you say to that? It was just a distraction. It was disruptive. And this is what he actually says in verse 28. But he said, blessed rather. Other translations say, no, contrary to this. Right? Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So like I said, if you want to be more blessed than the mother of Jesus, all you've got to do is hear the word of God and do it. Act on it. That's the only thing that separates us from all of these people in the Bible that did great things of faith. They just believed God and acted on it. And, you know, Mary was in the same boat, and that's why she's blessed. So... Uh, before my last point, I'm actually going to ask to have the upstairs kids join us for the gathering, uh, just so that we can watch this, this video and pray over these families together. I think it's really important for our young kids to see families making decisions in obedience to God. So it might be a little bit dis- disruptive, but just be cool. If there's cake at the end, you'll be fine. So, so yeah, let's, let's have them come down. So the last point is we... So we don't worship godly men and women, but what we do is we are thankful for godly men and women who obey the calling of God. We're thankful for them. In fact, Paul writing the letter to the church in Rome, in Romans 16, he says this in closing of his letter. He says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. So these two people, they actually, the next verse says how they have a home church in their house that not only is Paul thankful for them because they risked so much for him and his life, but as a result of their obedience to God, all of the Gentile churches were thankful for them. Gentile just means someone who didn't come to Jesus through Judaism, right? Like if you aren't a Jew and came to Jesus, you're a Gentile. I assume most of us are in that boat, but Jews come to Jesus as well, which is cool. But all of the Gentile churches were thankful for these two people and their obedience. And I think you guys would agree that our church, Valley Town Church, would not exist were it not for the obedience of these two families, where they believed God and allowed their belief to interrupt their lives in a way where they obeyed him to come here and to start something completely new. So, so our church is so thankful to them. And, and how do we respond to this sort of message? How do we respond to this sort of faith? What I was thinking about was that great sacrifice inspires great sacrifice. 
that Jesus gave his all on the cross to reconcile us to him. And likewise, that sort of sacrifice inspires faith to sacrifice what's comfortable for the sake of God's kingdom. And their story of faith inspires the rest of us to act out in faith. So Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so I ask today that you respond with faith. Whether you are just hearing about Jesus for the first time today and you're taking one of those little baby steps, respond in faith and that pleases God. Or if you have been a believer and you need to have God just wreck your life today, pray to him and he will. All right? Pray to him and he will. Just be obedient to God. Step out in faith where you are and let God's great sacrifice inspire sacrifice in you. So that means for our church, we give of our resources, of our talent, of our people to see new churches planted. We give of our, our resources to see this community continue to be reached and to see lives changed. So in a moment, we're going to have our offering in the last song. If, if you're just a visitor or if you don't even believe in Jesus, keep coming for free as long as you want. You don't need to give anything because we have generous people here who want to make this available to you that you can freely hear the word of God preached and hear the message of God's love. We also sacrifice through worshiping God that he is worthy of our praise, that he has done so much, that he is faithful and he is able. So check out this video and in a moment we're going to pray over these families as a church. When we came here, when we were getting started, it wasn't easy, but it was worth it. We believe what Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the laborers are few. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may faint, and there I find you. It produced in them a joy that they'd not yet experienced. There is a joy that you will not ever experience until you see yourself as a sent one, as a missionary, as a pioneer for the kingdom of God in your workplace, in your family, with your friends, in this community, until you surrender to go wherever He says to go. So oppressed in your end.
what God has done here has been miraculous, absolutely miraculous. And so we desperately want to see God do this in other places as well. So it's with that conviction that I tell you that God is now calling my family and the Caldell family to King to plant another church like this one. What God has done in this valley has been so phenomenal that we cannot keep it here. We cannot keep it to ourselves. Take me deeper than my feet sacrifices we make for the kingdom of God are worth it. So uh, we're going to send out these two families with prayer, so I'm going to ask them to come up if that's all right. Got some tissues there. And uh, I'm going to invite all of you as the church to, if you guys want to kind of gather around and pray, and then we're going to worship with them as a full family of God one more time. And uh, let's do this. Heavenly Father, uh, we as a church are so thankful for the Prestons and the Caudels. May they know the appreciation that we have for them. May they know that we will forever love them for what they gave up for us. We thank you for their obedience to you and the faith that they have in you, God. I ask that, Lord, for their, their future adventures, that you would equip them, Lord God, that you would use this season to restore and to give them rest in you, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would continue to provide for their needs. We thank you, Lord, that you don't write checks that bounce, that, God, you want to see Keen reached in a way that glorifies you. You want them to know you and your love. We pray that you'd put a hedge of protection around these families, protect them from the enemy, keep their marriages strong and their children strong in the Lord. Just continue to impart into them a blessing, Lord God. We ask, Lord, for the city and the people of Keene that you would just prepare their hearts in advance. Go before them just to prepare their hearts to hear your word and to be forever changed. And God, we just thank you so much for giving them favor in Keene that they'll be able to have new relationships and new connections that they'll have favor in planting this new church. 
our sister church and let them know that they are forever welcomed back to visit Valley Town, that we, we look forward to hearing updates from them and their adventures, and that we will forever love them. And even though we are on mission in different cities, that God, we get to spend eternity together with them in joy. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.